Friends, if you have your Bibles, please open them to 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 1. This morning we are continuing in our series, which is entitled Elect Exiles. And we're going to be looking at verses 10 to 12 of 1 Peter chapter 1. But, but before we jump into this, I, I wonder if you have seen the, the similarity between the last two messages in this series. So three weeks ago, the main idea of the message was that the God of all mercy has made you alive, so praise him. And then the main idea of Jason's message from last week was God has purposes in and through your trials, so praise him. The, the thread of, of praising God is very intentional in this. In this first section of Peter, chapter 1 and a little bit into chapter 2, Peter's main goal is to help us to understand who we are as the people of God. This is about our identity as the church. But he starts this section with a, a song of, of blessing to God. So, so that even as we remember who we are, even as we consider our identity, we also acknowledge who has made all of this possible for us. And so verses 3 to 12 have been described by scholars as a, as a hymn or as a song of blessing. And so all that we've looked at so far, verses 3 to 5 and how we've been made alive by God's grace, verses 6 to 9 and how he uses trials in our lives, and all that we're going to consider here this morning in verses 10 to 12, all of this is under the banner of verse 3, which says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be, glory, honor be given to him. This is a call to praise. And so church, I wanted to begin there in order to invite you to lean in with me this morning. This, this section in a very particular way is supposed to stir our hearts. It's supposed to stir our souls to joy in our salvation. And this, this call of praise is only going to increase this morning as we look at verses 10 through 12. So if you have your Bibles, please read along with me. The words will also be projected on the screen. It says this, concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Amen. May God bless the preaching of his word this morning. Ancestry.com. Ancestry.com is a company that helps a person to determine more about their, their family history and lineage. Ancestry.com claims to be able to help you to know more about your history in a way that places you in a historical lineage and in a way that can even strengthen your health as you learn more about the health patterns of your ancestors. In, in recent years, Ancestry.com and other companies like them have just exploded as, as more and more people have conducted searches to find out more about who they are. It's been said that genealogy studies make up the second most popular hobby in America today. 
This is a, a $2 billion industry. A lot of people are wanting to know more about who they are. Sometimes it's gone well for folks. Sometimes it hasn't gone quite as well. Some people find out that they have royalty in their blood. Other people find out that they are not the great-great-grandchild of some king or queen like they thought that they were. I have, a, I have an extended family member who bragged for years and years that they, about how thoroughly Irish their side of the family was. But last year, after using Ancestry.com, they found out that they're only about 5% Irish, and they have a broad mix of Scandinavian with a strong Viking heritage. So it was disappointing to them, to say the least. But why is this so popular? Why are so many people wanting to know where they come from? Sure, there can be practical benefits to knowing your history, but there seems to be something more at work here than just that. And listen, even Ancestry.com knows that there's more to this. On their blog, they answer the question of why studying our genealogies has become so popular when they say this. They say, in an age where many are looking to connect to something bigger than themselves, to have a deeper understanding of themselves and where they came from, it makes sense that genealogy would have grown more popular over the past few decades. And I, I think that that's exactly right. In our individual culture, when everyone lives in the moment and so few care about the historical, so many people are longing to find evidence that they belong to something bigger than their small little world. They, they want an identity in history. They want an identity in a heritage that is longer and more meaningful than their short little life. Folks, it is this exact issue that Peter is seeking to speak to in the lives of his original readers and for our lives here in 2020. See, through converting to Christianity, through becoming Christians, these original readers were now both physically and metaphorically far from home. They were exiles. Relationships had been cut off. Family ties had been severed. Friendships had been lost. And they inevitably felt alone and isolated in their circumstances and in their suffering. And so... Peter wants to help them. Peter wants to help them. He wants to help us to see that God is worthy of praise and that there is comfort for us in the gospel, not only because God has made us alive through the gospel and not only because he's using our, our trials to refine us into his image, but also because he has saved us into a heritage that goes far beyond our short and isolated lives. Peter wants us to know that though we feel like exiles, we actually have a place of belonging, and it is with all of God's people, past, present, and future. And that we're actually the, the distinctly privileged among God's people with where we are in history. We are richly a part of this heritage of salvation. Peter wants to comfort us with this this morning. Here's, here's the main idea of the text this morning. Your salvation is a historical and heavenly salvation. So praise him. Your salvation is a historical and heavenly salvation. So praise him. And we have three points to consider. Point number one, you are a recipient of grace. Point number two, you have a heritage of grace. And point number three, you should live boldly by grace. All right, let's consider them one at a time, beginning with point number one, you are a recipient 
of grace. Christian, you have been given grace. Look at verse 10. It says, concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours. Peter's talking about our salvation in God. That's what verses 1 to 12 are all about. We see the word salvation in verse 5, verse 9, and verse 10. This passage is about the great salvation that God has won for us through his entire plan of redemption. And now, yes, the cross of Christ is central to this grace and salvation because this is where we see the, the fullness of God's love and grace most clearly on display, which is why Peter immediately talks about the sufferings of Christ in verse 11. We can certainly not talk about God's grace without the cross. That is where we first and foremost experience his grace and goodness, right? Martin Luther says that no theology is genuinely Christian which does not arise from and focus on the cross. Grace is first seen in the fact that Christ, the Son of God, died for our sins and that there is life in him alone. But I think that with the frequency with which we use the word grace in the church today, I think that it can be easy to begin to think that grace is just the forgiveness that we receive at the cross. But this word grace is not a small word in Scripture. It doesn't have a narrow meaning. No, biblically speaking, grace is supposed to be a, a summarizing way to speak of all that God has done for us and all that God has given to us. Grace is a term which, which speaks fundamentally about unmerited favor. It means that we are given something that we simply do not deserve in ourselves. And so it's right to say that we have been saved by grace. God has given us salvation, not as a result of our own works, but by a result of his free grace. But the word grace is also a term that Peter uses here to speak of God's entire plan of, of redemption. In the context of verse 10, the word grace is equivalent to the word salvation, which we've seen used three times in these verses. So listen, grace is God's foreknowledge and his foreordained plan to send his son. Grace is the actual sufferings of Christ on the cross. Grace is the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit to make us alive in him. And grace is the subsequent glories of verse 11. Everything that still comes from the cross. This is grace. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7, Peter speaks of us being heirs together of the grace of life. This is speaking about more than just the, the moment of salvation. This is all that has been won for us through the gospel. Regeneration, new life, forgiveness of sins, shame for our sins removed and taken away. We are freed from bondage to sin and death. We're given a new identity in Christ. We are welcomed into and adopted into the family of God. We have eternity before us. We have the Holy Spirit residing within us. We have hope because we have the promises of God the Father which can never be broken. Church, this is the grace that has been given to you. As, as a recipient of grace, your entire life is marked by God's grace now. If you are a recipient of God's grace at the cross, 
then you should look at your entire existence and say, oh, what grace I have been given. Whether you have been a Christian for decades or whether you're a brand new Christian like Colby who was baptized just this morning, your entire life falls under this banner, grace. Apart from God's grace, you are dead in your trespasses and sins. You have no hope. But now, grace. But now, salvation in all of life and for all circumstances and situations. You know that moment when you are given the gift that you've always wanted, whether it's at your birthday or on Christmas, the, the thing that you were really, really, really hoping would be given to you and then it is given to you. Maybe it's a new toy. Maybe it's a new piece of technology. That's a great moment. And there's a period of time when you can't help but think about that gift and the person that gave it to you. It's almost all-consuming. You're so excited about what has happened. Christian, that is grace. We should never stop marveling at what God has done for us. Never grow accustomed or overly familiar with this because this gift is eternal and this gift affects everything. Christian, let grace capture your thoughts in 2020. Let grace capture your ambitions in life this year. Let grace capture your marriage and your career and your spare time and your use of technology. Let grace capture your friendships and your service and your plans for the future. Now, now, now what does all that mean practically? It means that the grace of God is so powerful, so rich, so full, so encompassing that it is the identity that trumps all other identities in life. If you are a recipient of grace, if you are a Christian, that identity, recipient of grace, should be greater than the identity of dad or mom or single versus married or divorcee or someone who struggles with depression or athlete or musician or artist. All of these other things can be informed by God's grace, but if you're a recipient of God's grace, that trumps all these other things. This is your identity. You are a recipient of grace. And do you see how good it is of Peter to speak of this grace so early in his letter? For, for these readers who are feeling isolated and, and alone and who are struggling to live for Jesus in a secular culture, P Peter wants to remember them to remember how rich and how full their identity in Christ is. Peter doesn't want you this morning to, to assume or, or presume upon the grace of God. He doesn't want us to look at our lives individually or even as a church and say, yeah, this is the things we have done. We, we've pulled this together. This is because of our moral superiority against those around us. No, he wants our hearts to explode with praise, not towards ourselves or our own strength, but to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has given us grace. Amen. And in order to ensure that our hearts will explode in that way, Peter speaks of this grace. And then Peter helps us to remember where that grace comes from, the history of grace that we have been given. That brings us to our second point this morning. Point number two, you have a heritage of grace. A heritage of grace. I, I don't know about you, but when it comes to gift giving, I have a, a, a long and, and mixed history. I give myself about a three-star rating in the category of gift giving. So, so I wonder if some of you husbands can relate to me in this. I've had really, really good moments in gift giving and really, really bad moments in gift giving. Some that Ashley still remembers with fondness and others that we would both rather forget. 
But one of the things that I have seen to be consistent in all of the gift giving is that the more intentionality, the more thought, the more care that I give to the gift in preparation for, for Ashley's birthday, the better it is. I've had months when I have thought of her birthday months in advance and begun to prepare for it. And those gifts, regardless of how big or small the gift is, they've landed so well. And they have blessed Ashley so much. And then I've had years when a week before her birthday or two days before her birthday or the night before her birthday, I suddenly realized, oh boy, it's a big day coming up. I need to, and I start scrambling to find something. And I got to tell you, no matter how much I scramble, no matter how big of a gift I get, because let's be honest, when you're scrambling, you get a bigger gift to compensate for the lack of thoughtfulness. No matter how big it is, no matter how I package it, it never lands the same as when I've given thought and intention to it. Ashley loves when I give the gift thought and time. Listen, Peter knows that the same is true for his readers. He's spoken of our salvation in the biggest possible terms. But Peter wants his readers to know that this is not just a last-minute scramble by God to love us. No, Peter wants his readers, he wants us to know that the grace of God that we have been given comes with a very long history. It comes with a heritage of God's gracious intentionality to make us his people, to make us his own, and to give us the riches of heaven. And this is so important. This is so essential for his readers. Because if you remember, Peter's writing primarily to Gentile Christians in Rome and in the surrounding area. These, these people do not have a Jewish heritage. They don't naturally identify with Israel, God's historical people, nor are they very familiar with the Old Testament truths. So the, the whole letter of 1 Peter has a surprising, really shocking amount of Old Testament references for an audience that is predominantly Gentile. Why, why does Peter do that? Why here in verse 10, when writing to Gentile readers, would he speak of the prophets of the Old Testament who prophesied? Here's why. Because like those who jump on Ancestry.com in our day in order to find out more about who they are and where they belong, Peter wants our identity not just to be in this moment alone, but in God's eternal plan of salvation for us all. Why? Because he knows that we will feel more loved, more secure, more cared for in him when we realize how intentional he has been towards us. There's no better way for him to do that than to reference the prophets who prophesied from of old. Peter, Peter's taking these, these new Gentile Christians who, who feel isolated and alone in their exile, and he's, he's pausing and he's, he's getting their attentions. He's looking them in the eye and he's saying, listen, concerning this salvation, you know, all that we've been talking about here, guess what he says? That there are these, these men of old, they were called prophets. They were really godly, really powerful men. You might not be that familiar with them, but they were really famous, really influential men among God's people. And guess what? Their entire existence was given to think about and to speak about the coming Savior. It says they searched and inquired 
carefully. They, they didn't know when or who the Savior would come or be, but they were called by God to speak to his people and to say, one day a Savior would come. So Peter takes his Gentile readers, he gets their attention, and he says, all of these prophets and all that they were longing for, they were talking about what you now enjoy and experience through faith in Jesus Christ. You, you feel isolated. You feel alone and out of place in this world and in your unbelieving family. But guess what? You have a stronger lineage and tie than anyone else around you. You are part of God's glorious story of redemption. It comes from of old. I, I love how Peter doesn't specify any specific prophet here. He doesn't highlight Moses or Isaiah or Jeremiah. He, he doesn't say... Any, any, any specific one, because he knows his readers may not be familiar with them all. He just says, the prophets who prophesy. That leaves these things helpfully vague so that these Gentile Christians can apply this to whatever degree they, they are aware of the prophets. Maybe they heard about Moses. Oh, Peter's talking about Moses. Wow, that's significant. Maybe they heard about Ezra or Nehemiah. Oh, Peter's talking about Ezra or Nehemiah. Hebrews chapter 11, which is called the, the Hall of Faith speaks of men and women throughout the Old Testament who longed for the day when the Savior would come and lived boldly in faith for that day. Peter is looking at his Gentile readers. He's looking at us this morning and he is saying, you have, you possess what all of them long for. You possess what they prophesied about and lived in hopes of. Isn't that amazing? In verse 12, Peter says that these, these famous prophets of old were actually serving these Gentile readers. The, the goal of what they did was to strengthen and encourage these first century Christians in their faith. Christian, this morning, listen, when the great prophet Isaiah prophesied in Isaiah 53 about the suffering servant who would come, he was creating a heritage by God's design that would allow you to know that this Jesus of Nazareth that you now believe in is not just a last-ditch effort by God to love you. It is part of a long heritage and a long history of his persistent grace, his intentional love. Friends, this is amazing. The biblical Jewish history is now your history. This is who we are. This is our, our lineage. And as we suffer for Christ in this secular and non-Christian world, we're not alone in all these things. Not only are we recipients of grace, but we now fall into a long line of men and women who have trusted God for their salvation despite the sufferings of this world. Listen, you know that point in, in the end game, the last Avengers movie? When suddenly all these superheroes come back, they all come back through the different portals, and suddenly those few that were remaining and were almost worn out, suddenly they're not alone anymore. They have all this heritage, all these heroes standing behind them, ready to fight with them. Listen, that's this. You are not alone in the fight. There is a long history of men and women who have fought this fight with you, and you can take courage and comfort in this historical reality. Listen, when you're at home in the evening and, and your soul is struggling because you want to stop watching TV and actually have spiritual conversations with your family, with your husband or your wife or your children, but, but no one in the family is on the same page as you and, and you feel so alone in that, when, when you are in class on campus and the professor makes a snide comment about those Christians out there who don't care anything about objective truth and you suddenly feel like every eye in the classroom is on you, 
When, you, when your teammates want to watch that movie and they make you feel dumb for, for living by convictions about what you watch, when, when, when your group of girlfriends stop talking to you because you refuse to enter into the gossip and slander that marks their conversations so much, or when your boyfriend breaks up with you because you refuse to sleep with him any longer, when, when those things happen, Peter wants you to know that you are not alone. You don't stand isolated in time in that suffering. No, you are part of a lineage of salvation. You are one of thousands and thousands of men and women who have sought to live for God's glory by God's grace. And actually, your wrestling, your suffering is actually a badge of honor. You are among all of God's people who follow the example of the Savior, who take up their cross and follow him, who do not cling to the things of this world, but live by faith in the grace of God. You're not alone. Friends, we need to study and we need to enjoy our heritage. This is why reading God's word, reading our Bibles is so valuable. This is why we should be in, in the word as often as we can. We try to read scripture not because we want to earn God's favor through our discipline. We, we read scripture because we need to remember this, that we're not alone and that there are others who have gone before us. Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 1 that we would do well to pay attention to the prophetic word. It's good for our souls to consider the whole counsel of scripture. Redeemer Fellowship, let's be a people who seek to remind ourselves every day that we are not alone in this fight, but we are part of God's heritage of grace. Amen? Amen. Point number three, you should live boldly by grace. You are a recipient of grace, and that grace comes with a very long heritage and history, and so you should live boldly by grace. Peter is being very intentional in this, in this first hymn of praise. He has strong direction and exhortation that he wants to give to his readers about how to live boldly for God in a secular and non-Christian society. But, but he intentionally starts by reminding us of God's grace. God's grace that makes us alive. God's grace that refines us through trials. And God's grace that encompasses all of life and, and comes from of old. This is the grace that you have been given. P Peter wants you, Christian. He wants you to hold tightly to this grace. He wants you to embrace it and then, and then find strength in it. No, no, notice how many times we see the word you in these verses. The grace that was to be yours. It was revealed to the prophets that they were not serving themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you. P Peter's bringing these truths home to each and every one of us personally. He wants us to feel that the magnitude of these things that he's spoken of in verses uh, 3 to, to 12. He ends by saying these are things that the angels themselves long to look into and understand. They're cosmic truths, heavenly realities, and they've been given to you as a Christian. You have these things. We should be astonished by all of this. But friends, we're not supposed to stop merely at astonishment. No, these truths are supposed to lead us somewhere. They, they, they are to comfort, they are to strengthen, but they are also to direct we're going to look at this more next week, but look ahead with me at verse 13, the very next verse. It says this, 
therefore. Therefore, it means because of everything I have just said, because of these heavenly truths, now, therefore, preparing your minds for action. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. P- Peter's not done establishing our identity. But, but he takes a break in verse 13 to remind us that all these truths are to have an effect upon our hearts and upon our lives. This, this hymn of praise is to flavor all of life. We can now live boldly for God's glory in this fallen world. We can obey the Lord. We can conform our lives to his will. We can honor him with our actions because of what he has done for us. We spoke earlier about letting grace capture our hearts in 2020. Peter wants that for us. These truths are not just supposed to fuel our singing on Sunday morning, but also our actions on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and the rest of the week. This this song of praise in verses 3 to 12 is supposed to fuel our living throughout the week. Author Jerry Bridges says it this way. He says, God is not impressed with our worship on Sunday morning at church if we are practicing cruise control obedience the rest of the week. You may sing with reverent zest or great emotional fervor, but your worship is only as pleasing to God as the obedience that accompanies it. That's what Peter's saying in verse 13. This this song of praise which grounds us in God's grace and not in our own obedience. This song of praise in these verses is supposed to lead us towards active, worshipful obedience towards him. Church, this is the call. This is the call of 1 Peter on our lives. Peter says a verse later, he says, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. There's that word conduct again, which Peter likes very much. That has to do with the way that you live. In all your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. This is what it means to let grace capture your heart in 2020. It means to say, because God has made me alive, I can now live for his glory in all areas of my life. There's a wonderful phrase that theologians have used for years. Uh, It's simply this. It says, theology, theology is the, the study of God and the study of his truth. Theology is supposed to lead to doxology. Doxology is praise and worship of God. Theology is supposed to lead to doxology. We we study truth. We dig into scripture. We fellowship together so that we can praise God, not just with our singing, but with our entire lives. That's what Peter wants for us. He wants our lives together and individually to be a song of praise to God for the great things that he has done. You know, I think that many of us can grow discouraged in our Christian walk because because we don't think that we have a a heritage to follow in. Maybe maybe you didn't have Christian parents. Maybe you are a first-generation Christian, and so you don't know what it means to live out the Christian life as an adult. And when you're a first-generation Christian, it can be easy to feel like you're all alone in this. And that you almost give yourself an excuse for obedience because you don't know exactly how to obey. Maybe you look at someone like me who is a third generation Christian and you think to yourself, how much easier it must be to be a Christian with that sort of family around you. But listen, Peter wants to care for you. 
He wants you to know that you have a long history of people who have learned what obedience is for their lives. And he wants you to know that that you can now, by God's grace, add to that heritage of grace through your obedience. Yeah, I love that I am a third generation Christian, but you know what? My family Christian heritage started somewhere. It started with my grandfather, Bill Shorey, who had alcoholic and abusive parents. He had zero Christian heritage, but he was a recipient of grace. And from the moment that he was saved by God's grace, he sought to live obedient to God. And through God's grace and faithfulness, he has created this heritage of faith for our family. Friends, that can be true of all of us. I think we long for the one, but God might have for you to create it by your faithfulness and by your dependence on him. Our godliness Godliness matters, and Christ wants to proclaim his grace to this world through our obedience to God. And so may we stand amazed by God's grace, and may we seek diligently to live out that grace. Christian, you are a recipient of grace. You have a heritage of grace, and you are called to live boldly by that grace. As we move forward in 1 Peter, we're going to consider this truth in particular, and Peter's going to be very specific. But as we consider these things, and as it, as it rubs against us, and we consider the difficulty of obedience, let's never forget these nine verses, this song of praise, which declares that it's all possible because Christ has already made us alive, and that we are a part of his glorious plan. Amen.